Welcome to the Schoolbridge Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Piers. I'm Maggie. And today we're talking about Bloom's Taxonomy for episode eight. Episode eight. Wow, we're really doing it. But before we dive in, we want to dig up an old memory, a, a shared experience that a lot of us have, and think back to when you first learned to drive. Yeah, a shared experience we all had. Well, almost all of us had. Put yourself in the driver's seat mm -hmm. and go back to exactly how you felt when you were first learning how to drive. Yeah, I personally was terrified. Yep. And, uh, you know, shout out to my parents. They did a great job. I was not the best learner at the time. <laughs> but, man, learning to drive is really tough. It is. It's it's really scary. It's it's actually, it's something I think is automatic for a lot of us today. But when you're first learning, it's very, very complicated and there are so many little things that as, you know, as parents, you know, our expert drivers at that point, they forget that we don't know when we're first learning. Right. You know, you're think about being in a, as a parent, right? And sitting there trying to explain driving to your kid mm -hmm. who you one know, like there's no way this person should be driving. They're way <laughs> too young. And you're trying to explain all of the, the safety things and all of the dangers that they're on the road, as well as just how to operate a car. Right. It's like, check your mirrors. Right. What's that for mean? For what? Yeah, for what? <laughs> when? <laughs> so we're bringing up, think about when you first learned to drive, because it's something that we all share. And it's really a time when you were, you were learning something new from a person who wasn't probably a teacher. Exactly. And that really made us think of teaching, of course, because we know that learning has a progression, right? There are different levels to learning. And when you're learning something new, you need to start with some of the more basic sort of entry level pieces of that learning. And then once those are down, once you've got those, then you can take on a little bit more. You can get a little bit more complicated. And in the driving example, right, sometimes when there's someone learning something new, whoever's teaching them can jump many, many levels ahead and, and give something to that learner that is far beyond their capacity at that point in time. Right. So we thought if we're going to talk about Bloom's taxonomy and we're going to talk about these levels of learning that you go through anytime you're acquiring some new knowledge or new skill, how can we ground it in a shared experience that we all have with driving? Mm -hmm. And yeah, they just try and throw you in, throw you right into applying. Yeah. You know, like this is driving. Check your mirrors, check your blind spots, put the key in the ignition and... <laughs> They go right to these really complex things for a first-time learner, and it's hard for parents because they don't know how to break learning down into these lower levels. So, I mean, what are they going to do? They're just... They're, they're just doing their best. They're just trying to teach you how they were probably taught. Exactly. So for today's episode, we're going to dig kind of deep into Bloom's taxonomy and really look at the three ways that we use Bloom's taxonomy to help our students learn better. Um, but before we do that, just in case this is new or maybe you've heard of it, but you don't really know what it is, we should probably take a second to just go over in general what Bloom's Taxonomy is. Right. So when we think about Bloom's Taxonomy, we think about it as it's a cognitive hierarchy. And it's just understanding that learning has different levels to it. And what Benjamin Bloom did is he tried to make a system for learning where you look at learning something new as individual levels, like level one, level two, level three. And as you get deeper with your understanding, that's how you progress 
up those levels. Exactly. And you need to, like there is an order to it, right? You do need to master one level before you can go to the next. So just sort of a quick note, there are two versions of Bloom's taxonomy. Um, He was an older scholar. The first one's from the 50s. And then it was revised in the early 2000s. So everything that we're talking about today is using the revised version. And there are six levels to that. So the first level, we'll probably call it level one throughout the episode, is remembering. Okay, just remembering what something is. The, the bottom level, anytime you're trying to learn something, is just remembering. Mm-hmm. So as we say level one, level one is remembering. And then once you've got that, you do remember what this thing is or you know what it does, whatever. The second level is understanding, right? So the way I think of that is really adding because. So maybe you can remember what a word means or what a thing is. And then once you get to the understanding level, you can sort of explain you know, why it is that way. So we've got remembering at level one, understanding at level two, and then level three is applying. So once you've mastered remembering, once you've mastered understanding, then you can go into the applying level. So we'll say level three, applying. Yep. And that's really using this new knowledge or skill to do something. You're really using it to unlock other things. And then level four is analyzing. Right. So just to keep recapping, we have remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing. So analyzing level four and then level five. Evaluating. Evaluating. And then level six. Creating. So a lot of times in teaching, we're not going to always spend time in level five and level six, but you're almost always going to go through levels one, two, three, and four. So you're going to live in that remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing range. And then you'll peak, I guess, into level five, into evaluating. Mm -hmm. And then I guess project-based schools will go into creating. Sure. There's definitely creating that you can do in the classroom. But you're right. The the majority of classroom lessons live in those first four levels. And there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. So if we tie it back to, you know, when you learned how to drive, (laughs) it's almost always like you went right into that understanding and applying level, those level two and level three. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for parents because they weren't teachers to scaffold you through the appropriate levels, like starting at, all right, this is just remembering. These are the parts of the car. Can you at least retell me what the parts are? And then we can go into what they do. And then we can go into applying. Exactly. Yeah. Like my poor mother, we were walking out to the car and I said, in all seriousness, I was terrified. So how do you know which one's the gas and which one's the brake? Right. And she got kind of mad at me. I, I think <laughs> she was scared too. Right. Um, but anyway, so now that we sort of have that structure, if you've seen any images of Bloom's taxonomy online, it looks like a pyramid. Now that we've got that down, we're going to spend the majority of the episode really digging into how we as teachers use this tool, this way of thinking about learning to help our students learn easier and learn better. And we really talked it out and thought it happens at three points. It happens before the lesson, which is lesson planning, during the lesson, and then after the lesson in the form of assessing. Right. So as we're going through the episode, put yourself in your teacher's shoes and think about, okay, how can I use these different levels of understanding, these Bloom's levels, when I'm planning my lessons then when I'm making sure that my students understand during that lesson, Mm -hmm. and then how you can assess them after the lesson. Exactly. I love that. All right. So also another helpful thing is 
if you're near a computer because you're not driving right now, it really helps to just Google the Bloom's levels and you'll see those remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing, evaluating, creating. Those are the revised. Mm -hmm. You might see the original ones, but it's still the same process where as you are learning something new, you have to master those foundational levels before you can go to the next step. Absolutely. And it can be handy to, to when you look up that image of blooms, there's a lot of them. And some of them have different verbs attached to each level. And those are, I find, super helpful because it prompts your brain to think about what you're asking your student to do and therefore what level of blooms they're probably at. And in this episode, we're going to try and be really good teachers too, where we use actual standards and we break them down using blooms. Then we'll talk about, like you said, how you're going to master it in the classroom mm -hmm. and then what you'll do afterwards to, to assess understanding. Yeah, we're really going to dig deep in this one. So do you want to start with your standard or do you want sure. me to? Go yeah. for it. We each pulled a standard and we're going to walk ourselves and each other through how we would use blooms to break this down in the lesson planning process. So without further ado, I chose a grade five ELA common core standard. And the standard reads, describe how a narrator's or speaker's point of view influences how events are described. Excuse me, are described. So there's two parts to this standard. The first part is is immediately obvious, right? You, we have a verb right there. Describe a narrator's or speaker's point of view. And then the second piece is a little more complicated, right? It's describe how that point of view influences the way that events are described. So the first part when I look at that, that's really remembering maybe understanding, describing a speaker's point of view or a narrator's point of view. The second part, though, describe how that point of view influences how the events are described. Even though they're still using the word describe, that's actually quite analytical. Definitely applying, I would probably call that analyzing. So if I have the standard, I need to teach this. I need to make sure that my students master it at the level that it's written. I'm going to start at the very beginning. I want to start at remembering. And so my first objective is probably going to be define and identify point of view, right? And so we're going to have lots of practice with that. We're going to make sure we've got that definition crystal clear and we're looking at various points of view in different texts. So wait, can I just ask you, when you're reading that standard, mm -hmm. we'll do a little think aloud here. Yeah. The first thing you're doing is you're looking at the verbs. Yes. Right? And the standard is already pretty dense, mm -hmm. but... You're looking at what the verbs are. You already mentioned that. And you're kind of making a mental note of where they are on the Bloom's hierarchy. Yeah. And then you're sort of already brainstorming like, all right, if I'm at level three, if I'm at applying here, because it was describe, mm -hmm. right? Like you could say is describe level two, is describe level three. Exactly. You're, you're trying to make mental notes about how can you work backwards from that lowest foundational remembering level. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think... The, you're right. The verbs are a huge, huge clue as to what level it's in, but you do need to take it a slight step further and see what they are being asked to do with it. Because even though it says describe, and I would say that typically falls under remembering or understanding, that second piece, describe how this thing influences this other thing, that's actually cause and effect. And yeah. that's pretty analytical. Right. That describe how. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm saying, how are you going to ask them to describe it? Are right. they going to be writing it? Yep. You know, 
because then then you're going into the applying level, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's so much from what can seem straightforward. And I don't mean for this to sound like scary or daunting. I think that one of the really cool things about teaching is that it is very academic and lesson planning is is intellectually heavy and intense. And we can use blooms to sort out what our kids are being asked to do, right? So you're you're totally right. I look at the verbs. I look at what they're being asked to do. And then I go, okay, where do we need to start? And go back to the very beginning, that very first level. Can you give me a refresher? What was the standard? How does it read again? Now that I'm already thinking about Bloom's levels, yeah. I want you to read it again, please. And yeah. So I can pay attention to at what level are these verbs? You're being such a good teacher. I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> Describe how a narrator's or speaker's point of view influences how events are described. So I'm already thinking about the the, the knowledge that they need to acquire. Like yeah. they need to know what point of view is. Exactly. And so that's where we start at the beginning, right? What do they need in order to be able to do this? They need to have a firm grasp of point of view. So I'm going to spend a good chunk of time in there making sure that Obviously, starting with the definition, we know what it is, but they are really good and it's it becomes natural for them to describe a point of view in a story, to be able to read, figure out who is is telling the events, what have we learned about this person that might influence their perspective, and we're doing a lot of just point of view work. That would be my first um, group of objectives for this standard. And I like that you're thinking about them as groups of objectives. Because you kind of have your your final learning target, your final objective, which matches the standard. Yeah. But you're going to have sub-objectives that lead them there. Exactly. So we would start with that. And then another piece, and this isn't, this is maybe a little more subtle, but they need to be able to also describe events. They need to be able to read a text and accurately describe the events in that text. So sort of those two pieces first, describing a point of view accurately and describing the events of a text accurately. And that's, would you say that that's living in the understanding realm? I would. I would call that, well, like defining point of view, I would say is remembering, but being able to describe those two things, I would say are both in the remembering level. In that level too. Yeah, in that level too. And then you can sort of put them together, right? Which is what the standard is driving towards, describe how this point of view influences those events. So this is where we start combining those two bits of knowledge I've given them, point of view and accurate, you know, summaries and talking about how they're related. So considering how points of view and perspectives in a text and events are are related and doing that, that would definitely not be a one day objective. This is probably multiple lessons and we're likely working on it all year. There's going to be a lot of discussion. There's going to be a lot of writing of alternate points of view. Okay, rewrite this scene from this character's point of view or you know, how would this person have felt hearing this person's summary of the event and doing a lot of exercise around how those two things are related because that's really that applying and starting to dip your toe into that analyzing. How are those two things um, influencing each other? As I'm listening to you and I'm looking at my science standard, I'm thinking that these ELA standards, there's so much knowledge that, and skills that they have in here. They're so broad. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, it takes multiple days to be able to teach these skills. Yeah. And 
So we're still talking about your planning here. Right. 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 Oh, these you, are just objectives. These are just objectives. So you have your, you know, you're sequencing your objectives. You have your final objective that you want to get to. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of backwards planning those sub objectives as like a natural scaffold to get to that final mastery. Exactly. And I like that you said scaffold twice. And I'm like, yeah, that's really what Bloom's is. Bloom's taxonomy really is just a more formal way of scaffolding learning and the learning process. It helps me kind of see where scaffolding is in my brain, where if I'm looking at the standard and I know that you're dipping into level four, that analyzing level, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, have I done a good job mastering those foundational levels prior? Yeah. Like, have the kids mastered applying? Have they mastered understanding? And do I have to take it all the way back down to remembering um remembering before understanding. Right, right. And that's what we'll really dig into in the second chunk when we talk about using blooms during the lesson, right? But right now for planning, since, and, and like you just recapped, I think that this standard is sort of dipping its toes into analyzing. So I am going to firmly take it to level four, to the analyzing level, because if the standard is hinting at it, you know, chances are that on a test or something, especially if you have standardized tests, they might ask an analysis question. And I want my kids to have a really firm grasp of this. And that's another layer to this with ELA standards. Really, I'd say anything skill-based. They're not done with this standard after fifth grade. You know, analyzing perspective and summarizing events and how all of these things live together in, in literature is never going to go away. So whenever I can take it to that next level, I want to, because that will enhance their learning for the future, you know? As you were saying that, you know, the skill naturally increases as they go up different grades. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you're getting learners who, for back of, for lack of a better term, have just been kind of passed through. Yeah. And they're in a fifth grade class, but they have a third or a second grade reading level. Mm -hmm. You can see where the prior standards are, and you mm -hmm. can look at those blooms levels on those prior standards, and it gives you a bit of a roadmap to help catch those learners up. Totally. Like maybe they're, they, maybe they're really struggling with just remembering and understanding. Yeah. And so even to ask them to get to that applying level is is a losing battle just because you have to spend so much time on that foundational knowledge. Right. They aren't ready for it yet. And so it's better, I would argue, to stay in those foundational levels first and, and hopefully get them to master that, you know? That's so a great point. Do you have more sub-objectives or are you going into the room now? Well, I I added one more which was firmly in level four in the analysis level to make sure that I felt good about that. And so I added, analyze how events are shaped by point of view by considering how events would be different from others' perspectives. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so I added the by there. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really good because you know that if you're hitting level four, if you're hitting that analysis level, especially thinking about someone else's point of view, mm -hmm. It gives you so much data when you're reading their answers to know, have they mastered at least this standard? Yeah. And you're kind of thinking about, you know, how is a test, how is a test writer going to write an assessment question at this level? Right. And it's like, I, I don't want to teach to the test. I don't want, I, I want to give them lifelong reading and writing skills. And so if I can, if I ever have the ability and time, I know that that's obviously, that's the hardest part to take a standard or a skill to one level or a half a level above what's actually being asked of them, that's going to give them a better chance 
to apply that learning in novel ways on really challenging questions and tests and also lock it down and keep it longer for for years to come. So when in doubt, if you can, go up a level. Right. And just keep thinking about learning as these levels, Mm -hmm. remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing, evaluating, and creating. And you're always living at least within one of those levels. Yep. Yeah. So that's how I would break down that particular standard, scaffolding it via Bloom's taxonomy to hopefully get all of my learners on the same page. And really, like practically, you would have all of these written down and then you would have a logical sequence that then gets you to that final standard. Right. I would I would break down the standard and then plug those objectives into my unit plan. Yeah, I love it. What you got for science? Uh, well, should we do science or should we do in the room what you would do in the room with that? Oh, great point. Let's keep going with this one. And then we can do like a whole cycle with science. But because we've done such a good job with breaking down the ELA standard, go right into how would you check for understanding with that in the room? I love that. Okay. So that is before teaching. This is how I would use Blooms to break down that standard to create objectives for my lessons. While teaching... I'm in the middle of a lesson. I'm in the room with my learners at their desks. I would use Blooms to constantly check for understanding and make sure that they are with me at each step, right? Because we know teaching doesn't always equal learning. And if I'm able to constantly assess my students' learning in the lesson, I can very quickly step in and pause and get them caught up before misunderstandings continue, right? But in order to be able to do that, I need to constantly know where they are. So for example, let's say we've had a couple lessons of this. We are into this unit and I might pose this question to my students. Maybe we just read a story or are talking about a story we had read previously. And I might say, okay, so let's compare these two points of view. How do they interpret the dinner scene differently? And let's say I pose that question, I let them think, I call on someone, and I get a wonky answer. Or I don't know. Or an I don't know, right? And it's a, it seems like a genuine I don't know. I'm going to immediately go to Bloom's. I highly suggest I do this, and I really recommend having a printed copy of a Bloom's image on your clipboard or on your desk, your laptop, whatever you have with you while you're teaching because you can see where you are and then start working up or down based on what your kids are saying. Right. right? So you can, yeah, you can just go on Google and Google a Bloom's chart or Mm -hmm. Bloom's verb and they'll give you all of the levels and they'll give you synonyms for each level. So you can change the verb and you can change the way that you ask the question just by looking at your clipboard. Right. So my question, you know, how, how do these two points of view interpret the dinner scene differently? Um, that's definitely at applying, if not, you know, again, sort of flirting with, with analysis. And so I have two options. I can kind of go one level down, right, and go to understanding and see if they've got that. Or I can go back down to the beginning and start asking some checks for understanding, working my way back up. And I think both are fine. I think, honestly, it depends on the kid. If I have a learner who just gave a wrong answer and is unsure of themselves and as a learner needs some boost in confidence, I would go right back to remembering and give them an easy one so I can immediately praise them and they feel good. They don't, you know, I'm always worried about a kid feeling unintelligent. And so this can be a good booster while I'm also measuring their understanding. Yeah, it's a great way to get 
some quick data to just go back down that level, give the kid an opportunity to get something right. You can even check some other kids to see where they are. Totally. And it's almost like you're just sort of rechecking where everybody is, reestablishing that foundation before you go back up. Exactly. So I might say, okay, no worries. You know, it's all good. Let's let's back up for a second. What is point of view? Right? I'm going right back to remembering. And hopefully they've got that. If they don't, I'm making a mental note that I need to work with this kiddo one-on-one, -on -one, right? But hopefully they've got that. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Now I'm going to go back to that other objective of can you describe events accurately? So I'm going to say, okay, what happened in this dinner scene? Because maybe they don't understand or maybe they didn't, maybe they missed a reading, right? It could be that too. Right. And then what perspectives did we see in the dinner scene, right? So now I'm back at understanding, making sure that we accurately understood these scenes and these different points of view. How did this character feel in this scene? And then I can go back to my question. Okay, great. So you just told me this point of view and this point of view and described what happened. What's different about those two points of view, right? And now we've quickly caught back up. And rather than sort of passing that question on to the next kid, which happens, it happens, it's okay. But I, I try to right then and there say, oh, we've got a misunderstanding. Let's go right back on Blooms and figure out how to get you to the level that you need to be at right now. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah, well done. That's how I would tackle that. And then I think it's an easy segue into how would you evaluate it? Right. right. Like this is in the moment checks for understanding. Yep. How are you going to make them prove their understanding on a mastery check or a mini quiz or even a summative? Right. So that's the third part, right, is sort of after the lesson, um, even though some of these are at the end of the lesson, of course. But using Blooms to structure your assessment questions is also super, super helpful because like let's say you know we're we've had a lesson in the applying level and we want to see if they've mastered it we want to make sure then that that question that mastery check question or a unit assessment question is written at the applying level because if we've talked to the applying level and then the questions are only at remembering or they're only at understanding we might get some false positives that they understand more than they do or vice versa if we ask a question that's above where we've taught you know and Something that can be really cool if you're writing a longer assessment is to write questions on your test that cover the same standard, but the questions are scaffolded at different levels of blooms, right? So you can get really good data on, it's not just yes or no, do they understand the standard? It's at what level, at what point of rigor, at what point of blooms taxonomy do they understand and where exactly does their understanding break down? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to picture your test right now and I'm trying to see, okay, Let's say that I have a student and I'm grading them, and I know that their their understanding is breaking down at the applying level. Mm -hmm. You can go back to their understanding and their 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 remembering questions and see, okay, they got all these right. They're sort of starting to break down at these understanding level questions, and now I know why my applying level questions aren't working. Exactly. And it's it's like mastering a standard isn't binary. It isn't yes, they did or no, they didn't. They may have mastered half of it or or the first piece of it. And so using Blooms to write questions that measure those different levels can be really cool. It's the kind of thing where it'll definitely take a little bit longer to write a test like that. Yeah. But you can keep using that test year after year. And just the data that you get from it is such high quality data 
that yeah. once you have done the assessment, you can pull small groups after that and then kind of fill in any foundational gaps. Exactly. And that's that's the beauty of, of using Blooms to get that really meaningful data afterwards. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't really want to go after you because... <laughs> You're such a good teacher, and that ELA standard was super dense. No, I want to learn about science. All right, all right. So for the science standard, this is a next-gen science standards, middle school physical science standard. And it reads, analyze and interpret data on the properties of substances before and after the substances interact to determine if a chemical reaction has occurred. Can you read that one more time? I want to think more actively about the verbs while you read it. You got it. Thank you. And it's great because it actually starts with one of the Bloom's verbs. It does. I noticed that, yeah. So it reads, analyze and interpret data on the properties of substances before and after the substances interact to determine if a chemical reaction has occurred. You were not kidding. That is very dense. Oh, I, lo- I love it though. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm before I even blooms this, like, right, I'm seeing analyze, I'm seeing interpret, and I'm seeing determine. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think, okay, right away, where are those? Like, it says analyze, it says interpret. So I'm thinking applying and analyze yeah. there. And then it says determine. So determine, I'm seeing, okay, is that applying? Is that, you know, some depth, some deep understanding? Yeah. But there's three pieces to this, at least how I would look at it. The first one is just analyzing and interpreting data. You know, they're going to get a data table on their assessment or on their mastery check, and they have to know what it means. Mm -hmm. Then they're talking about the properties of substances before and after there's a reaction. So they need to know the chemical and physical properties of substances. Mm -hmm. That's one piece. And then the last one is they have to know if a chemical reaction has occurred. Okay. So when I'm writing sub-objectives for this one, I'm going to think about it as those three pieces, and I'm probably going to look at it like, okay, they need to know the properties of chemicals and physical and chemical changes. Mm -hmm. They need to know what the evidence of a chemical change is, and then they need to be able to analyze and interpret data that they're given once a chemical reaction has occurred and what it was like before it occurred. Yep. So if I was going to break this down into blooms, I'm just going to start with the properties the chemical and physical properties. And we're talking about like boiling point, melting point, density, odor, color, things that you're going to ask students to look at and look for when they're witnessing a chemical reaction. Okay. So if I just go to remembering, and I'm just thinking about the properties here, I'm just going to ask them to retell what are the physical properties of substances. You know, can they retell me melting, boiling, density, odor, color. Can they tell me what those properties are? Can they define properties? You know, kind of going into that understanding, can they define the differences between the different properties? Like what's the difference between a melting point and a boiling point? Right. Like if they don't have that down, they're never going to get to this standard. I love that you said retell too, because even though that's still a lower level verb, I feel like there's really good confirmation there on you're not just regurgitating, you you really are retelling what this concept or this this word means, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm just going to keep thinking, yeah, remembering, understanding, applying. Mm-hmm. The remembering is, can they retell the properties? Mm-hmm. The understanding is, can they describe the differences between the properties and what the properties are? And then applying, if I do a demo, like a chemical reaction demo, can they summarize what properties they see in that demo? 
So that's just that piece of the standard. Wow. Okay. And then if I go to a second part of the standard where they have to determine if a chemical reaction has occurred, I'm asking them to, one, retell me what is the evidence that a chemical reaction has occurred. Like, is there a new smell, right? Is there a new color? Is there a change in the volume? Mm -hmm. Then they need to be able to go to the understanding level and, you know, describe what it means when there's a change in volume mm -hmm. and then go into the applying level and I perform another chemical reaction for them and I ask them to say, you know, what evidence do you see that there's a chemical reaction? Yep. So those are some of the sub-objectives that I would write and that I would think about during my lesson. And then if they have to analyze and interpret data on whether or not a chemical reaction occurred, I'm just going to start writing some data tables because I need to know what the endpoint is. And then I'm going to ask them to go all the way back down to that remembering level and say, look at this data table. It says that the temperature changed, or it says that the smell changed, or it says that the volume changed. And reteach me what each of those pieces mean. And then say, all right, what is your evidence? And now they're analyzing that data table. They're interpreting the data table. And I'm, I'm really trying to see how many of my students have met that standard. That That's, was great. I appreciate that. I don't know. It's hard to speak into the podcast here and think <laughs> about how I would do these sub-objectives especially since I think you did such a good job. Oh, that's kind. But I, I love you made such a great point because some of these standards are so dense that you do need to look at different pieces of them and then within each piece, break it down within blooms. So it, this takes a lot of sort of mental exercise to get it right. Yeah, you, you made me think, you know, we talked about what you would do before the lesson. During the lesson, let's say I just did a a chemical reaction demo, mm -hmm. like something super fun, like elephant toothpaste. Yeah. And there's a bunch of heat released in it. And that's one of the pieces of evidence that there was a chemical change. I'm going to ask the kids, what did you see in here that shows you if a chemical change occurred? Like, did a chemical change occur? Yeah. And depending on the answers I get, then I can just go back down to say, oh, all right, all right, we're a little off base with this one. What are the you know, seven or eight ways that you can say that a chemical reaction has occurred. Yes. And if they can't do that, then I know I need to go back to the remembering level and just go back to that reteaching and then just go right back up to my demo and say, all right, let's try it again. Yep. And I'm going to try and do a really good job too. I'm not just going to like ask this out into the ether and let one kid answer. I'm going to make sure that I have as many kids as I can writing their answers and I'm circulating and I'm seeing, all right, 80% of the kids have it. Is that good enough to move on? It's not. It's not. You know, we need 100% of the kids at that level. Or if I have one kid who's just way behind, that's the kid that I'm going to pull at the end of class and say, hey, let's check in, you know, after school or during yeah. office hours because I'm, I'm seeing right where their understanding breaks down before I'm letting the other kids move on. And this is, that's such great teaching because not only are you using blooms to make sure that you are looking at where their learning is, right, on the scale, but you're also using your good teacher strategies to help them get there, right? So a stop and jot and then maybe a turn and talk. And then you can pull a kid really quick if you see that their stop and jot was pretty wonky, you know, or yeah, maybe you 
provide a different check for understanding a level down, if they're still off, maybe don't waste any more time trying to ask a question and get it out of them. Just say, okay, let's go back to our chart. Boom. Here it is. Yep. You know, and then go back to where you were. When I first learned about blooms too, you know, it's, you, you learn about it and you're like, oh, don't I naturally already do that as a teacher? Yeah. But it's just knowing how to do it deliberately. And when you read standards, a lot of the other science standards will say something like develop a model for this phenomenon. As soon as I read develop a model, I'm thinking, all right, the kids need to develop. Develop to me sounds like applying. Mm -hmm. But when they see it on an assessment, someone else is making that model and then, then they're interpreting it. So that's really kind of pushing into the analyzing level. Yeah. And knowing Bloom's has helped me understand, one, how standards are written and how to work backwards to make sure that I'm making good stepping stones for my kids to get there. Absolutely. I think the way I use Bloom's the most and that I'm most thankful for is checking for understanding during the lesson, right? And posing those questions and just mentally knowing I'm not going to move on until we've all got it. And that might take a little bit of time and it might take a lot of exercise on my part to do the stop and jot, to pull a kiddo, to remind them to use their notes, to look at an anchor chart, whatever. But you can actually get them all on the same page if you're really deliberate about that. As you were saying that, I was thinking about, you know, my do now or my bell work. Mm. I realized my bell work is almost always a level or two down on blooms from where I'm trying to get to today because I'm just accessing that prior knowledge. Right. You know, if I know that today we're going to applying and analyzing, I really have to do a quick check for understanding first thing in class that they have mastered the remembering and they've they've got a solid foundation and the understanding level before I'm asking them to show me their knowledge. Yes. It's just like when we're learning to drive, we need to know where the gas is and where the brake is before we're learning how to merge onto the freeway. Right. And I mean, seriously, parents do a really good job teaching the kids to drive. <laughs> they do. They do. I mean, because think about, you know, a 16-year-old is already nervous to learn how to drive because it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. I think it would just help a lot if we, we went back down to the basics and just went to, you know, remembering. Yep. Right. And not in any kind of patronizing way, but when you ask somebody to like, all right, have you checked your mirrors? Before that, it's just, hey, what do we use the mirrors for? What do the mirrors help us do? Why does the car have mirrors in these places? Exactly. Or yep. if I'm asking about perspective and events, making sure that you really do know what perspective is and what it means and how to figure it out. Yeah. If I'm asking about chemical changes, you need to know what the evidence of a chemical change is. And before that, you need to know what is the difference between a chemical and a physical property? Yeah. So using blooms is just super handy. I find it's it makes my job easier because it helps me better understand where my students' understanding is. And that's what it's all about because teaching is great, but we need to make sure that they're learning, right? Because those aren't always synonymous. Right. I think one of the easiest ways to make blooms accessible for a teacher is to just go online print a Bloom's chart, put it on your clipboard. And when, like you said, when you're checking for understanding during class, how many different ways can you ask a question and how many different verbs can you use? Yeah. Or what level do you, I, I definitely noticed this when I started learning about Bloom's that even though my standard or my daily objective was in a higher level, like three or four, my checks for understanding were all pretty low. You know, and so I was getting all these false positives. My kids are great. Everyone knows everything. We're at 100%. 
And once I realized that I could tweak my questions to be more purposeful, then you get really good data and you can, you know, step in where you need to. It's such a good thing for coaches too to say, all right, that's why they want to see your lesson plans beforehand. Where's the Bloom's level of your objective? Yep. Hey, I noticed all of your checks for understanding were kind of, you know, low hanging fruit because yeah. you're you're trying to help, you know, bring all the kids in and keep them engaged. But how can you get it to that next level? Right. We're lucky to have Blooms. We are. Kind of a nerdy guy, valedictorian of his high school. Yeah. Got his PhD like way like in the 40s before anyone was doing that. Yeah. University of Chicago and created this system to actually try and make like improve education at his university. And now, you know, it's mostly like K-12 teachers that are using it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I might have misspoke. I don't know if he got his PhD, but yeah, he definitely went to grad school. Went to grad school. Yeah, I don't remember. But his still a real OG. And if he knew <laughs> now how much we're using Blooms, you know, I hope he'd be proud. I think he would. Yeah, good guy. So that is our our hot take on how to use Blooms to make you be a better teacher, help you be a better teacher. Yeah. Thank you for listening to School Bridge. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye.